0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hey, Fight fans. Before we begin this episode, I just wanted to take a moment to give our shout-out to the sponsors for this podcast, Bear Attack Boxing. Now, Bear Attack Boxing, relatively new company, but they've got an absolute passion for boxing. They've been going just over a year. They've attracted top talent like Tommy McCarthy, Tyro McCulloch, who swear by their boxing gloves and the products that they sell. Now, these are not like just your normal standard gloves, they're high quality equipment. You need to get yourself over to their website, which is www.bearattackboxing.co.uk follow them on social media at attack boxing on Twitter and on Facebook bear attack boxing to look at the latest deals that they've got now starting from the 1st of January bear attack boxing I've got a really great little offer on to see in the new year and it's going to be 10% off purchases with a discount code, especially for you the listeners which is BAB 2019 now that offer is on from the 1st of January to the 12th of January so make sure when you get to that checkout when you're purchasing them high quality gloves, you enter that code BAB2019. And remember to follow them www.bearattackboxing.co.uk, at Attackboxing on Twitter, and Bear Attack boxing on Facebook. Welcome to Beyond the Ropes, a boxing podcast brought to you
0: by Easy Boxing Repeat. The place for the Northwest and Boxing News. News, reviews, and interviews. Here's your host, Sean Basto.
1: What's going on, fight fans? It's Sean Basto here at BTR Boxing Pod. Welcome to this new series entitled Ones to Watch where we'll be going around speaking to all the prospect fighters up and down the country and we'll also branch out into the US of A and speak to some of the fighters over there too. So in this first episode of Ones to Watch, I've managed to get older that promoted the Black Panther Luther Clay and we're going to be talking about his career, where it's at is fight on the World Boxing Super Series undercard early in 2018, what inspires him, who his favourite fighters are, what fights he's looking forward to and where he's going in 2019. So, the Black Panther, Luther Clay, how's it going?
0: What's up, man? Yeah, everything's good, man. Everything's good. Just uh, trying to keep the weight off over these Christmas holidays. You know <laughs> yeah, I know how it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the worst thing, isn't it, Christmas? like, Because you just you just overindulge, regardless of whether you're a, a fighter, professional. You know, you always just want to you just wanna eat. You no, know? it's just the time of year to do it.
0: Yeah, man, and um, it makes me wish I kind of would have fought because I had the opportunity to fight again in December. Uh, but um, I just said to myself, man, I'm going to give my body a rest and just relax a bit. But I went over the top of it, and now it's Christmas. you know what I mean? So now I'm trying to get the weight off on Christmas starting so be ready for the New Year. So, you know, well, it is what it is. Other than that, all good.
1: Good, yeah. good, good to hear. So we've got you on uh, as the inaugural guest, inaugural interview as part of our Wants to Watch series. And uh, I first came... About you as a fighter, only this year, strangely enough, like I've been so busy up and down the country doing all different shows, and I only really came about yourself this year, and and, and I seen you on the World Boxing Super Series show uh, when you fought Danny Craven uh, on the Groves Eubank undercard, and quite impressed with with what I saw, and from there on really I I followed your career, and you know we've been following you ever since, and we really wanted to get you on and have a little chat and talk about your career so far in boxing, what you've been doing, what you've been doing outside the ring, all the little intricate details about how fighters live outside of the ring. You know, some of them we know don't always get the same opportunities as others because they're not Olympians and all the rest of it. So uh, let's let's sort of start from, um, from 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 the beginning then, Lufa, and talk about what got you into the sport of boxing. Yeah, um,
0: what got me into sport of boxing? Obviously, before I actually um, started boxing, I always like I used to get in fights into schools. Um Like I was a big fat kid, so I used to get bullied. I used to get bullied and stuff, but I always used to fight, so I was always fighting. So that was one. Then um, before I even started boxing, um, I always used to watch like Mike Tyson videos. Like I always just like Mike Tyson stuff like that. Like everybody else. So <laughs> it was that. And then one time. Obviously, I got into a fight at school and my dad was like, oh, you should just go to the boxing gym. And I was like, oh, OK. So I just looked around like in my area if there's any boxing gyms. And then um, there was one literally uh, like two minutes walk from my house and um, I trained there. It was called um, Bracknell Boys Boxing Club. It used to be run by uh, uh, by two ex-pro trainers. One was Jeff McCreesh and uh, Keith Marner. So, yeah, that's that's where basically I started boxing. Um, age of 15, 15 to 18. And then um, I stopped boxing when I turned 18. Uh, then I went to university. When I got to university, that's when I started. That's basically when I decided to turn pro. Like I was in the gym sparring, and um, I was found by um, a boxing trainer, this Russian guy called Gennady. From there, that's when I turned pro of my the manager and promoter at the moment. Yeah, it's all a bit of a... It was it all was a bit random, to be honest, but that's, that's how I got into boxing.
1: So, I believe you, you didn't really have much of an amateur career to, to speak of, and the fights that you've had so far have been learning on the job which there's not a lot of fighters that sort of get into it without having you know some sort of depth to their amateur career and the ones that do i can't really sort of say there's a lot out there that that don't have to go through this learning process in the fights and you 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 know you're like is it 11 fights in now aren't you into your pro game yeah yeah 11 so, going back to, to sort of the amateur side of things, what experience did you have?
0: I had uh, about eleven had eleven amateur fights, and nine wins and two losses. Uh, obviously, it's not really. I, I basically only fought at a junior level from fifteen. Well, I get junior, junior to about just about turn eighteen. So um, I only had about three senior fights, really. So it's just not. It's basically like I learned the basics, uh, and then I basically stopped boxing. And Then I just turned pro, so it's not very deep at all, really. So, you know,
1: what was it that made you turn pro? With? It was there it was a sort of a pivotal moment, you know, in your uh, young adult that made you make that decision?
0: Well, I, even when I was amateur boxing, I didn't really, I didn't like. I, I always planned to turn pro. I was like, I want to have like this many fights, and I want to turn pro. So it was always like in my head that I didn't really care or plan to be amateur for very long. But um, when when I had stopped boxing for about that two year period. I was still in the gym, like, you know, sparring and just hitting the bag, but not really training, you know what I mean? Then I got then um, a trainer took interest in me and said, I wanna turn you pro and I was like, yeah. So it, it it was it was in my back of my head, but I'd I'd never really thought it was gonna happen. But then I got the opportunity, I just thought, Yeah, okay, whatever, I'll give it a go, do you know what I mean? Just carried on from there three years later now. So yeah.
1: What do you think you'd be would be doing if you would not turned pro? Do you think you'd just be in like a normal everyday job like the mo the rest of us?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was at uni uh, studying computing. Um, I didn't really like it, but I was two years in. I passed the first two years, so I probably would have finished the third and probably it that, now. really. That's probably what I would have been doing. I chose to do boxing because I didn't really like it. I didn't really, uh, whatever this thing I was studying, but I didn't really like it. And I thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm like 19, 20, whatever I was. I'll give boxing a go. If it doesn't work out, I'll go back, finish the last year, and then, you know, get a job. So I can't complain how it's going right now, so... Just gonna keep going, um, and then see how far can go. You know what I mean.
1: And going back to that first professional fight, what was the feeling in the changing area? You know, ready to go in for that first fight. Was you nervous? Was the butterflies? Was it? Uh, or was you just cool, calm, and collected?
0: Um. Obviously, I'm not gonna lie. Your first, your first fight as a as a professional is like obviously it's just it's just a walkover fight. So I was nervous in the sense of like going. I saw the guy that I was waiting in at, and I looked at my manager, I was like, seriously, you're going to get me to fight this guy? It looked like a string bean. <laughs> so I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so um, I had that, so I didn't even have to worry about that. But um, obviously, I, I debuted in Latvia uh, on a Marius Bredis undercard fight with like 20,000 people, or whatever, so that was nerve-wracking. But, um, so I've mostly fought abroad, so now, every time I fight, I don't really get nervous, Um I just kind of, you get nervous when you walk in, but before that, I don't, I just it's just pretty like an, another normal day to me. And then you only really get nervous when you get your hands wrapped and then you're walking in. But other than that, I don't really think, I don't really think much of anything. You, you train for two, three months, so you just got to go in and do what you got to do Come out and,
1: win. and you had your first five fights. Like you said, there was, uh, I think it was about three of them, isn't it? The three of them you fought abroad, which is uh, it's quite unusual for uh, you know, obviously a prospect from the UK. But did that play down to the fact that you were with Siester and obviously he's got them connections uh, across Europe?
0: Yeah, um, I think how many of them abroad. So that's one, two, three, four, five. So yeah, my, yeah, so my, all in total I've five fights abroad. So obviously, because Al it was uh, primarily a, um, a European promoter, Russian and Europe, so at the time he could he could obviously get me on shows abroad, and um, I didn't mind. So I didn't care. I didn't really think much of it. Like um, I didn't really think about uh I should be boxing at home or this, I think, anything. So, um, But for me, it was good because I, I, I just thought about, like, I can just get the fights. I didn't think about whether I was the way fighter or I was on whatever kind of thing. And that helped a lot, even when I went and fought, fight in Manchester on the W Super Series because I came in on 10 days' notice as uh, an opponent. But I didn't think about it because I'd been used to fighting at, like, foreign or, or away venues or whatever, whatever you want. Call it. so it helped me in that kind of
1: thing Yeah I was just going to say that it's, it's obviously with you having that many fights uh, outside of the UK it's probably put you in uh, you know, a good position to, to not be concerned about being the away fighter and, and obviously when you come to fight in the UK and you, you've had a few fights obviously here in the UK it's probably I can imagine it probably doesn't feel that that, that's strange for you to be honest it doesn't feel like because you're, you're at home essentially but you've had that experience on on the road and it's it's put you in good stead for, for you know for what you probably got looking forward in the future you get five fights in and you had the fight in august 2017 and it was eight rounder your first eight rounder and you lost a unanimous decision talk to me what happened in that fight
0: yeah i was in russia for a training camp um I was was, my manager was having trouble getting the opponent. So obviously, I think it was my sixth fight. So I was meant to have. I was was trying to get someone. They're trying to get like someone seven and four or whatever that kind of range, whatever. And then um, there just there was no one um in the time. that just wanted to fight at that kind of time. So then my manager asked me, uh, "Do you want to fight this Fazir Tomayan? He's had nine wins, one loss, one draw." And um, I was just like, yeah, whatever, cool. I did, you know, like naively kind of like, yeah, whatever. Then um, had I agreed to the fight. I saw, obviously I knew he had no wins, but then I saw he'd had like quite a few 10 rounders and stuff. And I was like, oh shit, I've only had one six rounder, going up to an eight rounder. So that kind of got into my head. So the entire time I was training, I was thinking about like the distance or whatever. Uh, and then anyway, the fight comes around. Um, I was I, I was fine for the distance. I was very fit, Um, but I... I kind of gave a Not not even gave away because his style was a very awkward style. So I was probably bound to lose the early rounds whatever I did. So the first uh, three rounds I lost on the trot because he was um, like six foot one, ba- basically, then uh back foot back foot boxer. So, um, yeah, and I'm normally a boxer, boxer puncher, so I'm not normally like very aggressive like going forward. So I was trying to box with a longer guy and I lost the first three rounds. Then my... So obviously, then... Um, I after the first three rounds, I realised that I had to just go get him. So then the, la- the next three rounds I won and then it was basically a draw and then it was even and then there was two rounds left. I, I, I won the next round but then the last round I just gave away because I was kind of like, it's weird. I think I had a mental lapse in my head where I was like, man, I'm so tired of chasing you. <laughs> you know, when they're like, um, you know, like, how when uh, you remember like uh, Groves Eubank where where Groves was just moving and fading, yeah, and Eubank had to keep coming chasing and chasing him. And it, I think in my head I was I, for a moment, for a moment I got I got like like mentally tired of just like chasing this guy, and and then that's where I messed up because the last the last round was very close, but because I just kind of like was like man, I had that small little mental lapse where I was like man just stand still, and then um, I kind of eased off a bit, and then that I gave way the round because on the on the points. There was a one round between it. So they gave him the round whatever round they gave him, it was what it, it was four rounds to him, three rounds to me, whatever it was. Uh so it was it was just a sticky fight. It was a tricky fight against an experienced opponent. But I learned a lot from it because um since then I've fought similar opponents, um, long jabber movers and stuff, and I've and I've obviously come past that because I've that experience, that first 30, thirty 40 seconds of the fight you got to know what someone's trying to do and you've got to adapt it quickly. You can't take a round, two rounds, is too long. you got to know what exactly you need to do from from the get-go, from that first um, a minute they're coming in. If they're aggressive, you know, okay, you got to jab them and hit them, you know, counter them or whatever. If they're a mover, you got to, you know, chase them down, cut the ring off. So I really learned a lot from that and um, it was good. It was good. I wish I didn't, I wish, I wish I had that, I wish I kind of like prepared, for a longer guy, rather than you know preparing as you as you usually do, because I would have beat that guy, but it was is it was what it was. it was. Just a really good learning experience, you know. Yeah,
1: exactly, and you said it there, like, even the slightest little bit of doubt in, in mental preparation for a fight, and it's only that slight bit of doubt that can, you know, can cause a whole yeah. world of problems for you, and you said it yourself there, and obviously it was your first eight-rounder as well, and there's, you know, there's a few factors going into it, obviously you can't put it all down to, to that, like you no. say, you, you explained everything there, like, totally no what happened it wasn't like you've walked away and gone you know there's some guys out there that will look at a fight like that and go you know what i I won that fight and to this day i won that fight and they'll still argue the the toss that they won the fight but you've kind of walked away from it and gone right i've lost the fight but this is what i've learned off the back of it
0: yeah exactly
1: so you move on then you got the wheel boxing super series earlier on this year the groves eubank undercard you said that was a 10 day notice a
0: late one that. yeah do you know what man um I was, I was going through some personal stuff in my life at that time. I didn't even want to take the fight. My uh, manager was like, called me, he's like, I was like, I don't want to fucking take that fight. I'm literally just coming, I'm one fight removed from my loss. And I was like, coming in on 10 days notice, I'm not even like, the right mental headspace right now. And you want me to fight this Danny Craven who used to be on the GB team and had like, over 60 amateur fights, whatever kind of thing. I was like, are you trying to end my career? But <laughs> <laughs> so my manager was like, Luke, Lufa, I would not sell you out I don't even need any money for this fight. You can take all the money. I don't care. You need to get on the fight because you're going to beat this kid. He's like, forget about the loss to that guy. You didn't lose that fight. Whatever, whatever. Because he, you know, my manager still still disputed to this day. But I was like, you didn't lose that fight. You was in Russia against a Russian kid. It was close and they gave it to him. You need to fucking take this fight. And I was like, I'm not taking it. He don't mind He goes, he goes don't be a fucking bitch, man. <laughs> I ain't signing. I was like, I ain't working with no bitches. <laughs> I was like, fine, I'll take the fight. I was literally scared, like, scared, crazy, scared of going into that fight. Not of the guy, just because, obviously, I'm one fight removed from a loss. And, you know, in boxing, when you lose, it's this... Um, it, fighters don't really care about losing. This is the thing. Fighters don't care about losing. Fighters care about what other people think about them when yes. you lose. You lose, and then people don't want to come to your fight, or people, like, like you know, they're they looking at you a different way. But the thing is, you've got two routes in boxing. You can either... You can learn on the job and be protected for a long time and have a lot of easy fights where they're all in your favor. Or you can take some risks and <clears throat> sometimes when you take risks, you won't always come out on top. But that's the thing. Um, people, boxers, boxers don't want to take risks not because we're scared, but you know you get treated differently once you get taken loss. Trust me, it, like um, you get treated different. So and you get less opportunities or you get opportunities that are not in your favor, which. Like you, you might you you'll get brought in against um, someone else a- as a punching bag. For example, like um for example, uh, there was you know uh, Frank Buglioni when he fought Craig Richards. I was like, why is Craig Richards getting brought in against? Do you know what I mean? Obviously, that did good for his career, but like. That happens to a lot of uh, prospects. owning you, you, you know what I mean, and because you because obviously once you lose, you probably stop stop selling as much tickets. And yeah, you exactly. Not viable, so then you have to take things that you're not ready for. Um, that's what it is. So, but I took that fight. I was scared. I didn't box the way I usually box. I just tr- I normally quite aggressive. Well, we're not quite aggressive, but I'm normally like centered in the ring, pushing, edging forward. But I just decided to box back foot in that fight, and it was easier as a walk in the park. And, uh, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was a good fight for me, but it didn't really lead anywhere because I thought maybe I'd win that fight and I'd probably get on more shows, like yeah. more shows, or whatever, but it didn't happen. But, you know, whatever, it was good for me because I got some exposure and, um, you know, people could really see that.
1: Why do you, why do you think that was with the with fight on the World Boxing Super Series? Why do you think that nothing's been able to come off the back of it with it being such a big show?
0: I think, I think, um, I think there's, there's probably, there's a couple areas to do with it. The thing is, um, I'm not I'm with Al and my manager. He's a great, great manager, great uh doing great for me. Um ha- very happy with how I am, like the situation, how it takes care of me and all the fights, always you know but I think in UK, in the UK boxing scene, or maybe just in boxing in general, but especially in the UK, there is okay, so you've got the two big promoters, you got Eddie Hearn and then you've got Frank Warren. Then under them you got Everybody else, obviously, you've got Sunderland in the middle there as well, but then under them, you've got everybody else. Uh, so, I always say, like, they're the top tier promoters, and then you've got everybody else, they're all on the same level. And then, of those, everybody else, you've got Steve Goodwin, you've got maybe Mickey Helly, and then you've got who else? Um, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and
0: under them, under them, under those smaller promoters, you've got trainers. Um, so you might have like Tony Sims, you might have Coldwell, you might have uh, what, whoever, you know. So if you're with them, you're most likely a ticket seller, or you're a good amateur, and you will get a lot. Of, you will get on shows easier. And then you still have some boxers that are not with the biggest promoters and not the biggest managers, but they sell a lot of tickets. So they will get on those shows because obviously they're financially more viable. I do okay for tickets, but once again, I'm not with a big manager, not with a big trainer. Uh, I don't have a big amateur background. I'm basically coming out of um, no one knowing me. So it's like, why would you get me? who i'm a good fighter but no one knows when you can get someone else who's probably just as good a fighter as me but he's he brings a lot of money into your show kind of thing so boxing is about money in the day so for me how i've always thought about it's like i'm just gonna have to like um keep taking tough fights and 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 get myself to the the place where i can compete with anybody and then then i'll get on them shows on like prop always 50 50 fights but I'll never get bought in. It was like I'm, I'm. Do you know what I mean? I'm the favorite. That's just not gonna happen until I get my my own popularity up, which is what you know we're trying to do. And um, basing ourselves in Bracknell and or the Berkshire area and throwing shows in there, and you know, building the following, and then eventually we can be like um, you know, a a name at some point. If not we can get our point to the point where you know we can go, you know, what I mean, um, and fight one of the top welterweights and you know on a big show, and then you know that would be our you know. Or
1: way of blowing up as it seems so how have you found it in terms of ticket selling I mean do you have much involvement with the ticket selling or does someone someone within your family or friends help out with stuff like that how, how hard is it as a, as a fighter you know to get them tickets out there and making sure people got to come and pick them up and pay you and you know obviously giving the money then to the promoters etc how how does how's that worked for you so far
0: for me I haven't had much of a problem with it um so what I'd normally do is let's say i get a uh, hundred tickets or whatever 100 200 tickets i'll keep 40 to myself then i'll give 20 to like two or uh, three or four friends that i trust which i you know i've been friends with a good long time if so because everyone has like different friend groups so i have my own friends that i sell to and then they have and then the three friends that i give 20 or 30 tickets to they sell to like their off branch of friends and then do you know what i mean so um, yeah i do it like but um and I live in quite a small town. Bracknell's quite a small town. Everyone knows each other, and, and do you know what I mean? In the surrounding areas, surrounding town. So, um, my profile is growing, and you know, slowly, slowly but surely, do you know what I mean? I've seen, I've had new faces coming um, coming to me and getting new tickets, which I don't know, especially like a lot older people, and um, and now as well, I've got a new sponsor of the Bracknell football team, and they bring quite a lot of people in through um their to their football matches, and they said they're gonna. You know, try help me um, push my tickets through them as well with their football crowds. So like, that's the kind of things that I'm, you know, trying to do. And um, but in, in even on my own, like, it's been okay. You know, average tickets, which is enough to cover my opponent and everything and that stuff. So it keep, it you know, while I'm not a big ticket seller. I don't lose money for my promoter or, or the show, so I can always, do you know, I me, mean? I can keep getting fights and stuff like that. So and, there's
1: um, there's no stress from that perspective. Then yeah, is it no or
0: yeah. for you? Yeah, there's no stress for now. So it just keeps me. It basically allows me to keep fighting. Do you know what I mean? And and keep bringing in good opponents and keep learning. But as I keep going up, the opponents keep getting more expensive, and now <laughs> yeah. the rounds keep going up. Do you know what I mean? Um, so you know, it's it is what it is. But uh, as my as my profile keeps growing, hopefully that will become less of a problem. Do you know what I mean? So yeah,
1: it's been a pretty busy year for you in terms of fights. You've had four fights this year, and uh, you've had three eight-rounders to to finish off 2018. Is the plan then for 2019 to progressively move up to sort of ten rounds, and then potentially a look at you know maybe a, an area title?
0: Yeah, my next fight will be a ten rounder against a pretty good opponent. I probably can't disclose that, but for me, I already feel like I've boxed way beyond the area title. So what I'm trying to do is um, I'm going to get maybe two 10-rounders, whatever, and try go for a title uh, to the near end of 2019. Whatever that is, I don't know whether it will be... I don't really have much interest in boxing for a Southern Area title. I'd rather shoot for an English or go for some sort of European. But if if I was to get opportunity to box for a Southern Area title, um, you know... I don't really care who I box for. I box anyone for it. But the main thing is I want to box. I, if I box for a title, I want to box a good opponent, and I want it to be on a big, like on a, like a good undercard, like do you know, what I mean? some sort of televised undercard. Yeah, of course. In the day, I don't really, I don't really see a point in um, fighting a dangerous fight at fucking York Hall, um, where no one's gonna see it anyway. And my pro, that's the thing. I just want I want to get some sort of exposure to get on undercard fights. Do you know what I mean? That's that's the main thing because. It's, it's all well and good getting a title but if no one sees it it's just like you didn't have it anyway do you know what I mean yeah and that's what it feels like as a small hall show fighter I've had I've had so many tough fights i had so many 50-50s and really good fights but no one the only people who've seen it is my close friends so now it's just like damn man do I can at least do you know what I mean <laughs> I don't want to be like, like I don't care about you but can I at least get like seen so maybe it opens up for more opportunities for and then do you know what I mean so yeah that's what we're looking at 210 two 10-rounders and look for some sort of title or just, you know, just keep building until, you know, we keep climbing up the rankings until some sort of opportunity opens because obviously, obviously it is about winning. You keep winning and, you know, boxing can only deny you for so long to keep winning. So... That's what it's about, really.
1: Absolutely. So, outside of, of, obviously, your career, you're a boxing fan in general. You grew up watching videos of Mike Tyson, as you said earlier on. In the current boxing scene at the moment, who would you say is your favourite fighter in the world today?
0: My favourite fighter probably, right now, probably be like uh, L. Spence, Golovkin, uh, Canelo. I, You know, I, I used to like Canelo, but this whole Mexican meat thing, <laughs> I, I can't watch a Canelo fight anymore without being distasteful. So you know what I'm gonna start again. I'm gonna go El Spence, I'm gonna go Golovkin, um, I'm gonna go Mike Garcia and who else do I watch oh, a lot? On Javante Davis. So that's those are my like top fighters that I like watching. watch. What big
1: fights would you wanna see for 2019 world um, fights?
0: Okay, 2019. I wanna see Joshua Wilder, I wanna see I wanna see uh Thurman, El Spence, I wanna see Javante Longmanchenko and i want to see charlo big charlo yeah. against canelo yeah well charlo. that'd be a good fight that yeah that would be a very good fight absolutely would be a be good never, fight i used to be confident charlo would win but now i don't know canelo looking different canelo looking he just keeps going up in weight and still looking strong it, yeah.
1: is that meat is that mexican meat that's what it yeah, is
0: <laughs> i know this this guy he was a welterweight right yeah and he just keeps, he just keeps growing like it's just mad. Oh, well, but, you know, well,
1: Manny Pacquiao went through eight weights, didn't he? He was an yeah, eight-weight champion. Because,
0: yeah. So even yeah, Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. But thing is with Manny Pacquiao, he he was a really small kid, like a really skinny kid, and he kept growing like naturally. But thing is with Canelo, like Manny Pacquiao grew in height as well. Like he grew in height as as he got older, and then obviously. But the Manny Pacquiao growth is is amazing, but it's not unnatural. Yeah. Whereas like the Canelo growth, like. It's, you don't gain that much muscle and retain speed and the playing explosiveness and it's crazy. That's what I mean. Like And yeah, so, and he looked, he looked good against Rocky Field and, and there's rumours of Callum Smith next, isn't it? So,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I think I, I was saying on, on our weekly podcast episode that I think he, he must have been around about light heavyweight on the night when he fought fielding. Yeah. yeah. He looks yeah, huge.
0: I, I like, the thing is, if this whole like mixing meat thing didn't come out, I'd be a big ass Canelo fan. Though. I was, yeah,
1: I was, I was the same. I was, I love yeah. the guy. I thought he's a sensation, and now I'm like, I, I it, just... Leaves, it
0: just leaves it leaves that like doubt and sour taste in your mouth. Exactly, because you, know I mean? <laughs> you don't know, because that's you know what I mean. Like, but I do like Canelo, but every time I watch him, I just think, Ugh. but um, yeah, nah. He's a good fighter. He is one of my favourite fighters.
1: Outside of boxing then, Lufa, what else do you like to get up to?
0: Man, um, uh, man I don't really do anything, to be honest. I'm trying to think. I like, you know, I, I just go to see my friends, feel my friends eat. You know what I mean? I like eating food, so I'm always at some sort of restaurant or something. Um, that's the thing. I don't really know. I don't know what my hobby is, man. I just like boxing. I like watching boxing, talking about boxing, and just chilling with my friends. Um, I don't really go out like clubbing yeah man I don't know I don't do anything I'm
1: trying trying to, think. <laughs> trying to, trying to give me some juicy gossip here Lufa. you know we're trying <laughs> we're trying to get hey, it. Man,
0: I'm trying I'm trying I'll
1: play Xbox that's about it <laughs> hey mate I can't blame you for that I still play Playstation so fair play Lufa. so for the guys that uh, you know, that don't already know of you. A lot of guys down in the southern area of the country will probably know of you because oh, obviously I'll see Esther... and the promotions he puts on, obviously, in your hometown. But where we're based up in the north, in Manchester, there may be other people know you from the fight with Danny Craven but not a lot of people may know you from that so if they want to find you and start following your journey after listening to you talking about your career and some of your favorite fighters where would they be able to find you
0: yeah so um my instagram is uh black panther boxing no spaces no underscores just black panther boxing and my twitter is Clay 95 and oh and also i've got a i've got a little um youtube um blog thing going on where basically we film like our training and stuff and what we eat. What do you know what I mean? Just banter between me and another boxer, um, Wes Davis, and a couple other features. Got a couple other features. Whenever we go sparring, you know. And that's um that's called uh, Luther Clay, the Fighter Diary. I uh, just type that on YouTube and it should come up. Yeah, that's all my social media right there, man.
1: And just one final question. So uh, I I've not asked yet. The name, the Black Panther. Where does it come from? Is it from the film or is it from the the movement in the 60s and 70s
0: oh man um it was um, i got the name before the film so what happened is like um i was in my manager's house um and we were like he was like the black lion and i was like <laughs> no why did it have to be black in front of it and i was like, <laughs> and, uh, and then i was like oh I might as well be the black panther because actually funnily enough i used to be um i i like i, I liked, like looking up all like black history and stuff so i always used to study like the Black Panther Party movement all the stuff, it, it, you know, what I mean, to do uh, to the U.S. with stuff like that. So I used to follow that uh, movement. So I was like, yeah, I like the Black Panther. Then the movie came out. I wanted to change it. I was like, God damn it, this damn movie, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, it was just start uh, it was just like a, it was just, um, just me, and my man, manager, spitting, uh, spitballing names and stuff, and it just came to that. Um, and then yeah, so I just stuck with it. Obviously, it, it's, it's quite cool now that movie comes out. I always get sent memes and stuff with me, <laughs> you know what I mean, with the face instead of T'Challa's face.
1: Yeah, Wakanda Forever.
0: Yeah, Wakanda forever, the exactly.
1: <laughs> you know what I learned? Uh, I learned a lot about the uh, the Black Panther movement more through my musical choice of, yeah. of Tupac Shakur back in yeah. back in high school. I mean, I'm 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 in my thirties now, early thirties, and I listened to Tupac a lot when I was in high school. Not long after he after he passed away, and and obviously I started to look into it. Like you was looking at all the Black history stuff. I'm the same. I was looking it all up, and was, you know, really interesting information and you know stuff to get into. And that's why I asked you the question about the Black Panther. And I thought surely it can't just be the movie because the movies only just come out.
0: Nah, yeah, I, I used to listen to all the two pack. I used to have like the two pack discography, like all like ten albums, all the mixtapes, and I remember his old songs like Time for Party." I was thinking about making that my um my like, coming out uh, tune. Yes, uh, yeah, man. I used to listen to a lot of old nineties music, two like, thousands, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it all comes. It, it's basically a bit everything. It all comes from that as well. So. And obviously, I used to like, like Malcolm X and all that kind of stuff,
1: you know.
0: It's just random, randomness, really all coming together.
1: <laughs> so, going to, finally, going to 2019, have you got an idea of roughly when you're going to be out next?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out in March, March the 3rd on another Siesta boxing show. Uh, I, I believe it's, even, it's going to be in the Berkshire area somewhere, or, or Surrey area, um, still, like, closing down in a definite location but definite day is march the 3rd and um yeah that's all we're getting ready for now
1: okay and finally then opportunity to obviously give the people that will probably listen to the podcast which will be friends family listeners already of our podcast a bit of an opportunity to give thanks to you know the sponsorships the guys that are supporting you
0: yeah that's a good point i was literally about to say that so um with my sponsors i'd just like to give a big thank you for everyone that's supporting me i'll just give them a quick shout out now so you know, that's the Plum World. It's um fighting fit down in Bristol, uh always helping me with like my equipment and stuff. And um Boxing Football Club, uh Bracknell Bo- ah, Bracknell Football Club and the S B group um helping me out with training facilities. and um, you know, our family butchers just helping me out, you know, weekly and stuff with my food and everything, that's a great help. And uh Bewley Homes and Canosaurs they give me that free cbd oil that helps a lot you know that cbd oil i used to take the piss out of it cause <laughs> i thought it was like some like wave but i tried it i've been sleeping a lot better of um that stuff, so uh, shout out to Canosaurs. Yeah, that's that's all my sponsors right there.
1: Man, well, it's been a pleasure, obviously, to get you on the show, and it's been a pleasure to you know get to know you a little bit better and a little bit more than just the, the guy that we see you know on uh, on YouTube interviews or YouTube clips or, or whatever it may be. It's, it's, it's great to get to be able to know you, and the listeners again, it's something for them to be able to check you out. And then hopefully, that this interview will help get you more followers and get more people tuning into you and, and, and giving you that extra. Push to get you where you need to be.
0: Yeah, man, I'm real grateful for having me on the show, man. It's been great.
1: So, I hope you really enjoyed the first episode of Ones to Watch with the Black Panther Luther Clay. Real great to get to know the guy, get a bit of an insight into his mindset, what his plans are for the future, his favourite fighters are, and what he gets up to outside of the ring as well. So please, if you've enjoyed it, make sure you leave us a comment, share the episode around social media, find us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook, or are on Apple Podcast and Podbean to subscribe to, as well as CastBox, Player FM, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spreaker, you know the score by now thanks for listening five fans see you next time